Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year! That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. I think if, if people could see, you know, like see the, 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 the movie of our mind and how we are experiencing what it is to be in the canteen right now with all this noise and all the sounds and all the conversations and how utterly overwhelmed we feel, except we just look like another kid in the canteen. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. I'd like to share with you this review on Audible from a listener named Lindsay. It's entitled, You Have Helped Me Find Myself. You have helped me beyond words. I finally feel like I am beginning to understand who I am. I knew I was a hot mess, but I couldn't figure out why I was always so overwhelmed in what should have been normal situations. Even having someone over to my house caused incredible anxiety. Thank you for helping me understand why my brain works the way it does, and I finally don't feel so alone. Thank you, Lindsay. I am so thrilled that you found this podcast. And I'm honored that these conversations have been helping you along your journey of self-discovery. So big hugs to you. Also, if you are a regular listener of this podcast and you've been helped by these conversations, please take a moment to leave a review either on Apple Podcasts or Audible or leave a comment on this episode on Spotify. Any and all feedback really helps this podcast get noticed by other women who could really benefit from hearing these conversations and discover that they too are not a hot mess, but they have ADHD and they are not alone. And just a quick reminder that if you're looking for a safe, inclusive, friendly, and supportive group of women with ADHD who will have your back, 
please come join us in the Women and ADHD online community. I always say that finding our people is an important part of our treatment plan, and I'm so grateful for this online space. It's a wonderful place for us to connect, ask questions, share strategies and advice, or just vent and share memes. We also have virtual get-togethers and monthly live sessions with ADHD experts. I'm continually amazed at the level of empathy and kindness and thoughtfulness that exists in the group. It's something you don't see very often in social media spaces. So come join us over at womenandadhd.com, and of course, that link is in the show notes. Okay, here we are at episode 133, in which I interview Pippa Simu. Pippa is a former teacher, now ADHD advocate, trainer, and coach, and the founder of the ADD Vantage, a support service hub for girls and women with ADHD. When Pippa's son was diagnosed with ADHD, it never occurred to her that she also might have it because his presentation was so different from hers. And while she was aware that she struggled with inattentiveness and could be quite impulsive, she had no idea that was part of ADHD too. It wasn't until she tried out a QP check screening that she discovered, surprise, she also had ADHD. She was officially diagnosed in 2017, and her teenage daughter was also diagnosed shortly thereafter. Pippa and I talk about some of the reasons why ADHD is so commonly overlooked in girls and women, and we talk about the work she's doing to help inspire girls and women to live well and recognize and lean into their strengths. We also talk about what teachers can do to help girls, and why so many teachers tend to have ADHD, whether they realize it or not. Okay, I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Enjoy. Hi, Pippa. Welcome. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I feel like your story reflects many stories of women, uh, parents, mothers who are diagnosed well into adulthood, and just some of the differences between how uh, ADHD presents in boys and how it presents in girls and kind of what we're realizing uh, as a society and as mothers and as women in terms of how it looks. So you were diagnosed what, six, almost six years ago at this point? Uh, yes. Yeah. Coming up six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right? I can see you doing the math. It was 2017, right? Can you believe that was six years ago? Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, your son was diagnosed first, right? Is that correct? In a way, yes. But I would actually say it was quite a hindrance to me. I'm, I'm very impressed with these women who realize they have ADHD when their child is on that pathway, particularly if they have a boy uh, and that th- th- they have that moment because I did not have that moment. Not then I didn't. I I read the um, the criteria for him and felt like, oh my gosh, yes, this is like, this is the book of his life. Clearly this is who he is, but this is not who I am because I'm not like him. I laugh, well, I don't, I, it's not really funny, but when I look back, I just think, it's not like you didn't know you were inattentive. It's not that you didn't know you were impulsive, but I just wasn't like that. And and oh, even worse than that, so he he has his diagnosis. I had to leave teaching because it's not very um, flexible. Um, as a profession, it's not very flexible. You can't really leave your class to go an emergency meeting at, at your kid's school. You know what I mean? So I had to leave teaching um, and I became a coach and a trainer for a local charity, which was a lot more flexible. So I trained professionals how to um, support children with ADHD in their services. I also coached parents about how to parent children with this condition. And I would still say, and I'm neurotypical and they get it from their dad. You know, I would. I'm like, jeepers, man. You know how I still didn't see it. And it was actually an accident, Katie. 
I accidentally realised that I was living with a really high level of symptoms. Um, I'd become a nerd on behalf of my child, you know, reading it all, going to conferences, this kind of thing. And I was at a conference and I came across some people that had a software program for measuring the core symptoms of ADHD. And here in the UK, we have um, really long waiting lists. I think they're longer for children than adults at the moment, but really long waiting lists. So this software could be quite handy as a rule it in or rule it out thing. It's not a diagnosis, but it, it could confirm that you are, in fact, on the right waiting list. You should have an ADHD system or, or not. So I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be great for the charity I work for. And I was like, you know, can I come and see you at your offices? And uh, yes, of course I could. And and they did me a little presentation. They're like, do you want to try it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll try it because um, that'll be so good because then I'll like know how it feels. So I tried it. It's a 20 minute test, Katie. Longest, most painful 20 minutes of my entire life. <laughs> I was, it was such a simple thing. I, can't, I won't bore you, but anyway, it's a very simple task, but very hard for me to do. And um, when I got the results, I was like, but this appears to be saying... Um, Oh, 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 all right. And it wasn't just a bit either. You know, it wasn't like borderline. It was like that thing. At, oh, I don't know if you probably have this thing, at, you know, like the, the game at the fair when you're you have a big old hammer and you have to press the bell and it hits, you know, it hits the top. Yeah, that's that's where my score was, Katie. So I'm like, geez. And then I just felt awful because I have a daughter and I mean, at this, this point, I'm 44 and I'm thinking, well, you know, you've managed OK, Pepper, it's not not disaster. She was 16 and I've been pouring all this energy into my son and his differences, congratulating myself on being neurotypical. And, and so is she, right? Because she's just like me, only to realise there's nothing typical about me and there's definitely nothing typical about her either. So that's quite a long, long convoluted way of telling you how I got there. So, yeah, that software was a real um, wake up um, to understanding just how different I was from my peers. So it measures your um, your performance against typically developed women of your age on this test. So it was very stark how different my attention was, how different my impulsivity was. So, um, yeah, it was a big moment for me. And then, um, I don't know, probably within a year, I ended up uh, with a diagnosis but my first, uh, the first thing I took my energy into was supporting my daughter getting one ahead of me because she was just moving from um, GCSEs into A-levels, which is, it's quite a big jump in terms of learning. You have to do much more independent learning, manage your own learning in A-level. And she had done really well with her GCSEs. But typically this would be a point where the wheels would come off for a girl with ADHD because all that free time... <laughs> I might just make a poster for charity, organise my bag and totally not do what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and so this, first of all, the software is QBCheck, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, it is available in the US as well, but it's you you do. It's not something you can just do online and self-diagnose. It has to be through a provider, which I like. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and I like the fact that that, that is out there because I feel like so many of us have had such different diagnoses experiences like for me my diagnosis was a half hour conversation with my doctor and and I always felt whereas my children went through four hours of psycho psychological testing and and so you know it feels like so many of us like it would just be so nice if there was one standardized like blood test or something yeah right because I feel like 
there's just so much doubt there, which is like, what are my experiences versus other people's experiences? And and I think, you know, you spoke to that with the QB check, which was like, many of us don't realize our internalized hyperactivity, our internal experience is different from other people because it's all we know, right? And so to have that information in front of you, that's like, oh, this is not typical. This is <laughs> my experience. Yes. It, no, it was so helpful. So helpful. And it's, um, we're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't. We, we feel like it's like we're an imposter. We're an imposter wherever we turn up, right? Like I was an imposter I, as a teacher thinking, oh my God, they're going to find out in a minute now how rubbish I really am. And, uh, you know, f- feeling it all that way. And then um, when I uh, was going for an assessment, I was thinking, an ADHD assessment, I was thinking, oh, really, you're not that bad, Pippa. Like, come on now. Like, as, as if, as if. And it, it didn't help that my husband, of course, scored me as perfect Pippa um, because compared to him, with his normal, <laughs> I am pretty organized. Yeah. <laughs> compared to him. But you know, like this is the problem, isn't it? You if you don't realize how untypical you actually are, and that's the stick you're using to measure, it's a real issue. Um, and I, do, I feel so fortunate, Katie, that nothing really awful happened to me. The human beings across my path at, at the right moment have been fabulous human beings. But it's luck, not good management. You know, like I have just been lucky and fortunate. That that's all. Um, if I had known what I known then, what I know now, I just think, crikey, I could have really driven this ship. You know, I could have really understood her and and propelled her rather than like decades of um, just try harder, right? Just try harder, like oh, get up earlier, um, buy another planner, um, you know, set another reminder in my whatever. You know, this horrible narrative. It's it's not good for a human being to live with that level of vigilance and that level of negative self-talk. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about trying to help more women recognize if they have it, that they have it. And then I would say that the goal of my work, I work with girls too. Um, so girls and women, it's about helping them live well with their difference, understand what the difference is, lean into it, live well with it. I'm not one of these um, super powery people I, I don't think we have capes I think there is lots of good stuff but it is it's hard too so it's about living well and leaning in yeah I couldn't agree more and I think so much of it really you know I I feel like so many women that I come across who are diagnosed with ADHD and they feel like oh my goodness I finally know what's wrong with me now how do I fix that and I think you know what it really after a diagnosis we have this opportunity to really untangle that mindset of how do I fix myself how do I try harder how do I do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing and really like take a step back and how can I reframe what I'm looking at and say like, what, you know, there's nothing wrong with me, (laughs) but how do I change my environment? How do I change the systems around me that fit for me better? And, and how can I, how can I lean into who I am? And instead of feeling like that answer is going to be, you know, some app or some planner or some program out there book or something that's going to like help us be, you know, superheroes. Yeah. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Now, you know, when you talk about luck, I feel like teaching is a wonderful profession. So many, I think a lot of people with ADHD end up in teaching because it's it's always like listed as as one of the top 
careers for somebody with ADHD because you're like up and standing and moving and always doing things differently. And yeah, you never have the same day twice. It's it's incredible, right? <laughs> I would have said when my son was diagnosed, I, ca- I can't have ADHD because I'm a teacher. I'm a professional person. You know, that's that's where that's where I was at at that point. But with hindsight, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes, teaching is ideal. I'm a secondary school teacher. I don't know how it is for you guys, but um, secondary school teachers just teach. So I I taught religious studies. I'm so into religion and what makes people tick and why they do what they do and and their belief systems. I'm fascinated. So I get to talk about this all day long to people that can't move and have to listen. (laughs) That's great. Um, Also, uh, RE is only taught for one hour a week. So uh, the kid only has it one hour a week. So I'm getting this constant turnover of kids. So it's like, here's a new batch. (laughs) It was great, you know. And even if you, maybe you have the same year group like twice on that day, it will never be the same lesson because the human beings in the room make it different, if you know know what I mean. So um, you never sit down, like you said. And and even when you make a plan, there'll be curveballs coming in and things changing and things happen in the news and what have you. So, um. It's incredibly stimulating teaching, and um, I I know not everyone loves teenagers, but I I find them incredibly stimulating teenagers. And when I left teaching, that's what I missed the teenagers. I don't miss marking their books, I don't miss writing their reports, but I do miss them, you know. Um, and I feel really privileged that I can now go back and obviously in a much smaller way, but work with with teenagers again um, and have that that time because yeah. They're very, yeah, very fascinating, very stimulating. Yeah, I, I felt that way in hindsight, too. Looking back, I was a newspaper journalist for many, many years and loved the day. And now I realize why it was such a great career for me, because it was like every day was different and we were constantly on deadline. So I'm like, you know, just to think about that adrenaline and having to get things done really quickly. And it, like now I'm like, oh, that made total sense as to why I absolutely loved it. Not only that, but my job was from like 4 p.m. till 2 a.m., right? Or 4 p.m. to midnight. So it was like this delayed sleep cycle was wonderful. I loved it until I had kids and then it all got destroyed. (laughs) But yeah, like it's so interesting to look back at some of those things pre-diagnosis and be like, oh, okay, how how we intuitively ended up in helping our ADHD without realizing it. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of times we do do that, don't we? We we have very good intuition. We tend to have very good awareness to a point. Obviously, we don't realize it's ADHD, but we we really do have a quite a good understanding of ourselves. So we naturally make choices that can suit us and naturally find the workarounds without understanding, oh, this is an ADHD workaround. You know, like we're there's lots of things that I do did and still do but now I understand oh right yeah that's about object permanence Pippa that's why you need to see it right before I have to put things like right in the way of the door so I will go out with them <laughs> like I can't I'm not going to walk over them pick them up and take them with me um but you know I've always done that and I didn't realize other people did not do that <laughs> but that is actually quite odd <laughs> as it turns out <laughs> I joke about that a lot, which is like, you know, the I feel like the ADHD diagnosis isn't necessarily about how much you are obviously struggling, but more about how elaborate is your system to keep yourself from struggling, <laughs> because so many of us work. And that's what I think we don't put, we don't put two and two together a lot of the time when it comes to how hard we are working 
to maintain this level of normal, right? And then when we hear this idea of masking and this idea of this, uh, you know, that we are doing all of this extra work behind the scenes in order to remember where our keys are or, you know, to to get places on time and see, you know, and then you're like, oh, right. Yeah, that no wonder I'm exhausted all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't. Um, I didn't make the connection between ADHD and being exhausted. I, I'm, 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 I'm really slow on the uptake, Katie. Like, you know, I finally got there. Finally understood I had ADHD. I decided that I wouldn't have treatment to begin with. And um, but, but then there was the pandemic, and then I was working, studying, homeschooling. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, Pippa, if there was a time to try, could be now. And it was the first thing the psychiatrist said to me. She said, "It's exhausting, isn't it?" And I said, yeah, I think I've been tired my entire life. You know, yes, it is absolutely exhausting having this brain. And as you say, all the the layers of things we have to have in place to hold us. And if we're mums, hold our kids in place, you know. Um, My husband describes me as very organised. Well, I have to be because uh, because he isn't like so it just it's not happening there. Uh, So I have no choice. I have to find a way. Of, of making it work to hold us so our kids get where they're supposed to be with the right stuff you know all that kind of you know thankfully they're much older now and I um, don't have 35 emails a week from the school about various things can they bring this or is no school uniform day or whatever it is um oh, there was a point oh about being tiring yeah and I was like I hadn't yeah I had just had not put that together at all I I understood I struggled with my, you know, holding my attention. I understood that I could be impulsive, but I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't put that piece in um, about how utterly exhausting and what it was costing me, you know. It's that, the thing about Swan, isn't it? You know, above the water, she's looking graceful and underneath, she's paddling away, hoping uh, that no one's going to see, really. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think oftentimes we don't realize this isn't a universal experience too, right? And so I think so many times we we gaslight ourselves before we even get to it, the diagnosis phase because I think like, oh, well, you're just a tired mom, right? This is motherhood and it'll get better when my kids are older and it'll get better when I'm sleeping through the night. Like there's always, I always had this idea that like, well, yeah, it, things are terrible now, but things will get better, you know, in the future when I figure things out as opposed to, but again, always feeling like there, I wasn't feeling exhausted or depressed or all of the things that the diagnoses that we as so many of us get before we even end up with the ADHD diagnosis. So yeah, I think that self diagnosis that realize that aha moment of like, Oh, this is not this is not a normal, a typical experience for a woman or a mother, I think is such a huge revelation. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about grad school because I feel like that was uh, was a big change for me too, and I love I love that you've gone back. So, but I also wanted to find out. So, so after your diagnosis, where as you looked back over some of your career, but also your childhood, and looking at you, sort of some of the traits with your daughter and your son, and how they reflected on you, what were some of the big moments that you looked back and thought, "Oh, the ADHD was there all along"? Because that's something, especially more in the UK than in the US, I feel like that's part of the diagnosis process is the, you know, evidence in childhood, and that's something a lot of us have a hard time, you know, documenting, right? Yes. Um, it, I mean, isn't it crazy? Like, there's, I, there can't be another condition in the world where 
a doctor is asking for someone else to validate what you're saying. I mean, if I thought I had epilepsy, they'd hardly phone my mum, you know? Do you know, it's it's, it's nuts. <laughs> it is so, I know, right? It's so crazy. I mean, really, they, they got, I, I'm waiting with bated breath for the revision because I'm thinking, we're due a revision, people. Come on now. But um, anyhow, yeah, so um, when I look back, there were two things that I knew about myself as a girl. I knew that I was different. I felt different, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't have understood more than that. I didn't understand. I couldn't have given it a name. I felt out of step, but this was all internal and I would, I'd never spoke it out loud to anybody. And the other thing I knew was that I could be doing better, but I'm not. And there was that kind of, why is that? <laughs> you know, and, and now I just tell myself, just got to try harder. Just got, you know, just spend more time. Um, listen, listen better, Pippa, listen better. Like, what does that even mean? Listen better. But so there were those two things sort of underlying my experience at school. I didn't have a horrible time at school in that I got what I needed. I wasn't very happy at school. I had lots of uh, like um, upsets with friends that that was a constant theme I was allying allying myself to people who weren't good people or I would speak when I shouldn't have done or laugh when I shouldn't have, or you know whatever I never saw it coming Kate until it smacked me in the face and there was a lot of angst for me around that so I wasn't a particularly happy girl I felt I don't know like out of sorts I suppose I think the big marker would be the for me the um move from GCSE to A level so I actually did really well with my GCSEs I was it was quite a shock actually of course because I thought I was pretty rubbish but it turned out it was pretty good but then I did my A levels and it was like the wheels dropped right it was like GCSEs up like this A levels down like that so obviously that wasn't a great experience that wasn't a good experience for me but nobody sort of thought this is odd isn't it this girl was doing this well and now she's doing this well. Why? You know, no one asked the question, what was going on there? And to be fair, I didn't ask the question either. I just thought, well, you're just a bit rubbish. You're just, you know, you should have tried harder, that kind of thing. You know, like um, when you come to revise, for me, it felt like, I think I'm learning this for the first time. <laughs> you know, like it, it didn't feel like revision. I'd be like, really? Did we do the unification of Italian history? Did we? I don't I, I don't think I remember that. Was I off that day? <laughs> you know, because I, I could be gone for you know zoning out I could I could disappear in, in a lesson but um I'd be facing the right way looking like I knew what I was doing so I think that would yeah the feeling of I, there's more in me why can't I like demonstrate that the A-level results weren't great but thankfully they were enough that I could get into university um I did change my degree about six times going through. I was only there for three years, but as, and and I look back at that now, and I'm like, oh my god, that was ADHD. What are you like? You know, it was literally, what am I interested in this term? <laughs> I can't. Can that be my degree? I look at that. I've done some really impulsive things, which could have been really dangerous and scary. Thankfully, they weren't. But I've done things like get on ships with people to go to other countries, and I don't think I know their family name. You know. Luckily, nothing bad happened. I do things like meet people and go, oh, do you want to come out for dinner? And then my husband's like, oh my gosh, who even are these people? And why are they sitting at my table now? And I'll, oh, I, he'll, he always complains that I often give people things in it like impulsively, like to be helpful. Like, I don't know, say they're talking about, I don't know, 
uh, recipes. I'll be like, oh, yes, I've got this really great book. Here, 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 take my book. And then he's like, you're never going to see that again, Pippa, because you're never going to meet these people again. So, yeah, I am really impulsive. I know I am. But I haven't been impulsive in, um, like, sort of dangerous, well, not sort of like substances, not sort of criminal, not that kind of thing. And where my impulsivity perhaps could have, you know, been dangerous, it, like I said earlier about the human beings that crossed my path, just being lucky with those, you know, that you know they didn't turn out to be the worst, you know, like it, it was okay. So it's things like that, really. Um, I also, like a lot of people with ADHD, I have a very strong reaction to injustice. You know, we are the people that go on marches. We are the people that get the petitions going. We are the people that stand with others, even if I don't know anyone in the Ukraine. I, you know, it's got, you know, like, I'm going to march for the Ukrainians. You know, this is who we are, isn't it? So other people have looked at me and thought, you know, calm down, (laughs) calm down, lady. Why why are you getting all fired up? There's nothing to do with you. But I'm like, well, that's my ADHD. Um, (laughs) And I get, you know, really enthusiastic um, and I end up, the last teaching job I had was at um, quite an expensive boarding school and you have to teach and do stuff like extracurricular stuff. So they needed a woman. Like The only qualification required was being female for something. It was a, a like a Royal Air Force cadets. So it's, it was a military thing for, for, kid, for you know young people. So I ended up being the female person involved there. And I was like, all right, okay, so um, can I have some training then? So, so I know what to do with this because actually I'm an RE teacher. I, I, I don't, mean, don't really understand this. Can I have some training? And then I found myself at an actual RAF base with actual like warrior soldier people that go to war <laughs> and having actual officer training. And I'm like, why keep your mouth shut, Pippa? Like, what, what were you doing? Um, and it was, it was, it was a work. Well, it wasn't. It was every experience is in, enriching, um, and it was in, an enriching experience. But um, I got, I got like a hundred percent in the office, officer exam. M- miraculously, managed to remember all of that. But I got satisfactory for my officerness because I because I said please instead of saying pick up the log I said please pick up the log that's not what officers do apparently so um I was obviously gutted because satisfactory to an ADHD is like epic fail isn't it like what do you mean satisfactory <laughs> anyway it's stuff like that Kate I end up in, it's stuff like that I look back and I'm like oh I know right it's so funny I I have a similar experience now that I'm back taking courses again and realizing how much time and energy I spend on the one or two grades I didn't get. Like I'm doing very well. Um, but I really, really tend to focus on, you know, the satisfaction, the one satisfactory that I get or, and I'm like, and I see it in my kids too. And I'm like, why do we do that? And I, I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's more interesting, right? Like it's literally more interesting for our brains to focus on what's not working than to focus on what is working. And so, you know, where I'm just like, I am totally that person who, if I get a 97 on a test, I'll be like, what were the three things I got wrong immediately, right? And and I'm like, try really hard to not be that parent <laughs> to my child. But I'm like, it's, it's, I see them doing the same thing. And, and so... Uh, I feel like it could be really damaging to our to our sense of self, but I'm also like it's just more interesting to think about what we didn't get right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe it's like it's appealing to like our kind of problem solving. I need to fix this. What you know? Come on, people. Let's 
you know, let's get down and find out where this went wrong kind of kind of thing. But um, yeah, it is. I think it is damaging because no, the reality is right. Like no human being is going to be great at everything when that's not how we're built. That's why we have variations in you know, you know, that's why we have sporty people. That's why we have like, I don't know, software people, data people. Like we, it's, it's all, we are varied for a reason and no one is supposed to be excellent at everything except a person with ADHD believes that the, the only standard is outstanding or, or I'm going home. <laughs> like, you know, um, but we can be, we can be really punishing. And um, I think a lot, I was working with a girl yesterday um and she was she was telling me she's struggling with her learning, and she's uh, predicted um, high high grades for her for her GCSEs. And I was saying to her, look, the truth is, you just need to do well enough that it opens the next door. That's it. That's that's the truth of this situation. You need to do well enough to open the next door, so you can go where you want to go. You don't need to get all of these great grades across the board. You don't need that try to say that to yourself like in the mirror in the morning say it out loud hear that hear those words out of your mouth because it's so heavy carrying carrying this like I I suppose it's it's this sort of maladapted perfection type thing like I'm going to be brilliant because I can't bear it if people see my struggle if people see what it's costing me but it's been incredibly helpful to me you know this side of diagnosis and um working on myself and also working with the brilliant women that cross my path about actually, you know, there are, we will all have strengths and we will be brilliant there. And we have to find a way to be easy with the things that we don't do so well. Um, And ideally don't do them, (laughs) you know, like why pay someone else to do them, right? Like, uh, you know, why, why, you know, bang your head uh, against a brick wall um, because you can't fill a spreadsheet in or it takes you three hours to fill a spreadsheet in or whatever it is, you know. Right. I know. I feel like that has been such a huge change for me when it comes to things I struggle with, which is like now I'm just sort of like, okay, who can I get to do this for me? And how can I show them gratitude as opposed to like, I am not going to feel bad at all for the fact that I can't do this or that I'm not willing to do this. Um, But, you know, it was interesting because too, the, the idea of like being... I, th- I think about this a lot, and I feel like I talk about this a lot on the podcast about this idea of consistency and how why do we feel like we have to be good at everything? Like that doesn't really make sense when you talk about it. It's so obvious that you, people are good at some things and not others. It's like why do we feel like we have to be good at so many things? And I think I think you really hit the nail on the head with the perfectionism and this like idea that it's it's a control issue, right? Like it really is when we feel so out of control, when we feel so different growing up. And like you said, like always feeling like we're missing something, always feeling like everybody else has the manual, but us, everybody else seems to know the secret and we've missed it. Maybe we weren't paying attention. Maybe we just don't get it. Right. But like always having that feeling of being out of control, I think that we end up looking for places where we can be in control, where we can control. And you think about like eating disorders as a great example of like eating disorders are a control issue. And so many of us struggle with that. And, but I think perfectionism, I think people pleasing, I think a lot of these ways in which we try to 
try to artificially control our environments and control other people is like a trauma response to living an undiagnosed life and living in such chaos and out of control. And I just see that pattern in so many of us, these ways in which we have tried like white knuckling it, trying to control what's going on in our life. And I'm like, now, once I started looking at that, especially perfectionism as like a trauma response, you know, because it's, it's, it's in a way it's hypervigilance, right? And hypervigilance is, is the classic trauma response. So I'm like, once I started looking at it that way and being like that, this is a control issue. I think it's been much easier for me to really reframe, have that kind of paradigmatic shift and reframe like, okay, this is where you do, this is where you tend to do this. And this is why. And like so much of this diagnosis is realizing and like is, is, is developing that language around what is happening to us and why we're doing what we're doing and and being gentler with ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Loop Earplugs. Loop earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop or in your office cubicle or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft, hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly in your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his Engage Kids loops for short intervals like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com slash women ADHD. That's loopearplugs.com slash women ADHD, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. Yeah, and I think language is so powerful, Katie, that when we choose different words, it can really transform how we see the same thing. Someone perhaps needs to give us the words. We don't, they don't, we don't find them by ourselves. Someone has to kind of demonstrate this is how we do it because we're so, like you say, I love the white knuckling. I really relate to that. I feel like I've been clinging on in the past, but like literally dear life. And yeah, the perfectionism is so damaging. And I'm, I am super concerned about the, the situation for us around eating, disordered eating, eating disorders. I did my master's research on eating behavior and levels of well-being in women with ADHD. And I knew it would be, I knew it would be bad. And it was really bad. Yeah, I, I, sort of, I suppose I was hoping I might be pleasantly surprised. I wasn't. I had 151 women and their their eating was disordered, definitely, all of them. And so many of them had had experience and are experiencing life with eating disorders. I was actually talking to uh, someone on the BBC yesterday incredibly brave woman she's a presenter and she knew she had issues around food and somebody suggested to her literally last week have you thought that ADHD might behind might be behind this and she said no I have not thought of that she did some reading and thought oh I think it might be and yesterday she went and had an assessment and I was interviewed by her prior to her 
going for the assessment, talking about um, how it is people and in particular women with ADHD might be, you know, we know we are more vulnerable, but what are the reasons? And so I was talking to her about that. But um, what's what's really crazy for me, it just seems like such a simple thing. What, why is it that when a doctor diagnoses a female with ADHD, he doesn't then or she doesn't then at least give them a leaflet to say, check your eating, you know? Because you might be massively affected. Your ADHD might be massively affected. In that. And did you know how vulnerable you are to eating disorders? Like, no, they don't say it. They don't give you a leaflet. You're just off. Well, I don't know what they do in the US, to be fair. But here, they, I keep thinking I need to write the leaflet, frankly, Katie. I need to write the leaflet. You know, why Why is that? And, and also, the people going through the eating disorder clinics, why are they not screened for ADHD? Exactly, exactly. And I think that's one of this is I want to ask you about going back to school, because it's one of the reasons why I've done the same is, you know, after my ADHD diagnosis, re- talking to so many women who like myself diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and there was never any look behind what was causing it, right? There wasn't any it was just like, let's treat the depression, let's treat the anxiety, here's your medication, and get some rest, or you're just a mom, or all of these things that we heard. And realizing how important it is to be able to connect the dots earlier in in this treatment process. So right, so having having a, a provider who can say, "Oh, I see you have a history of substance abuse," or "or you have a history of, of eating disorders," right, and seeing a lot of that, and then also realizing how the treatment of a lot of these things, especially eating disorder treatment, is really not neurodivergent affirming. It's not neurodivergent friendly and realizing that there are very, very different treatment protocols for a neurotypical or a neurodivergent. And and what are those? Like, how can we define those? How can we recognize what those are based on our own lived experiences? And, and it was, this, you know, people, so many women who were like, I need a therapist who gets not only what ADHD looks like in women, but how incredibly life-changing and profound it is to be diagnosed well into adulthood and how that completely radically changes your your sense of self and your self-concept. And I'm like, do you know therapists who get this? And I'm like, I I honestly can count on one hand (laughs) the number I knew at the time. I couldn't recommend anybody. And so that's where I was like, well, I'm going to try to increase this number by one. So, So I was curious what led you to decide to go back to school a few years ago? Um, I think, there were a couple of uh, a couple of reasons. One one was that my daughter was going to university herself, and I knew that was going to be a, like a change for me in my life. And I didn't want to become a hindrance to her in helicopter parenting, or you know what you know. I, I wanted her to launch and and not be, you know, worrying about her constantly because my brain's got nothing else to do. So I thought, you know, why don't why don't you go back to university and and see how, you know, see what you can do now. You know, you have ADHD and I'm dyslexic. I found out also that I have dyslexia. I found out I was dyslexic while I was still teaching um, towards the end of my teaching career. And then the ADHD came. You know, also a diagnosis that many women get well before the ADHD. Yeah. 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 So So that was one reason. And the other thing was I felt, I think I was coming up to a point where, so I was working for this charity, but I realized I had ADHD and my daughter did. And I was like, really, this is shocking that you that I could have gone on the journey I, I did and accidentally found out I had ADHD. That's that's not good enough. So I decided that I wanted to give 
my time and talent such that it is especially to girls and women. Um, And I felt that to underpin that work, I needed to, I felt like I really understood ADHD very well, but I perhaps didn't have the, the broader picture of our psychological development and like the the maybe like the broader context of psychology so I thought I'll go back and um and get my master's in psychology and that can underpin the work that I I I do now so I'm I I call myself a specialist coach and the word specialist is there because I feel like my lived experience is my that is why it's special you know because of my lived experience of ADHD that that brings something to, to the coaching but I felt that really I was just an RE teacher. So I felt like I needed to have, you know, something more robust under my belt. It was a very good experience, actually, well, apart from the pandemic part of it. So that was not great. But the biggest gift I have from that is that I can say out loud, I am an academic. I am, in fact, intelligent. I got a distinction. And, and the funny thing is, no one else is surprised that Pippa got a distinction. I was like, oh my God, I got a distinction. Like, oh. And everyone's like, yeah, you worked so hard. Obviously you did. But yeah, I'm like, that has been such a gift. Like in, to, to have arrived at that moment in my life, I, you know, I'm like, wow, it's been a long time coming, Pippa, but you're here now. Mm-hmm. I would just like other women not to wait so long, you know, like to have what they need when they need it and not, you know, the, all the, you know, the things I spoke to myself the way I spoke to myself it's shaming I think um in fact I was working with a woman recently and she said if we if we used our self-talk out loud and someone overheard us we might have a visit from social services to come and check on who we were talking to because because it's like abuse you know like it's that bad what what what, how we do it so um so yeah going back was a, a good experience although I will say I, I clearly didn't didn't read all the instructions before I arrived. Um, and I was like, oh, actually, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I, yeah. So I had to learn about, actually, I can't remember. I, work, I was in co- cognitive psychology. I couldn't believe I was learning about pigeons knocking on doors. And I'm thinking, <laughs> where was this in syllabus? Like, what, what am I doing here? Um, and then there were bits where I thought, oh, okay, yeah. Biological, uh, bi- biological psychology, so like the, the the mechanics of the brain. I'm thinking, oh, that's good, Pippa, because you kind of know that. Oh my dear, the the depth, the depth that they went into. I was like, surely we don't need to know all of this. So it really was very challenging. And although the broad strokes were Pippa's interested, she's engaged. I was like quite a lot of times. I found myself like. I, I don't even know what what what's, what what am I doing here? Uh, but yeah, but I but I did pull it off, so I'm really happy. And uh, you must have had a similar experience, I guess, uh, like a good one. I mean, well, I'm still enrolling, so I'm I'm taking classes as a non matriculated student right now, and and um, waiting to see if I actually get into the program. But even just taking the classes as a non matriculated, it's been really interesting to me. You know, I never would have done this if it wasn't for my ADHD diagnosis. I believed I was unintelligent because my undergraduate experience was not easy. And, you know, and it's not easy now. It's not, you know, it is very difficult. But I, like you said, my self-talk was just so terrible 
that I believed I was stupid and that I barely graduated with the skin of, from the, by the skin of my teeth. And I'm so glad I got ac- out of academia and never would I go back there because it was so horrible and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just believed I was dumb and that I was fooling other people and that anytime I did anything well, if I wrote a book or, you know, started another business, like I just always felt like it didn't reflect who I was. Like I felt like my core version of me that I saw was somebody who was fooling everybody else and that I really was truly a dumb person. And it wasn't until my ADHD diagnosis that I was able to kind of unravel a lot of that self-talk and and change how I viewed myself and really kind of be like, oh no, I'm actually quite a tremendous human being and I'm a quite a good mom and I'm a good partner, like all of these things that I believed I was a shit version of, I really like started to believe truly that I was good at life. And, and that was such a huge shift for me that it it allowed me to say, yeah, I can do this. I can go back to school and it's not easy. It's certainly hard, but I'm doing well. And, and I think, like you said, it's really, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm in a program I'm incredibly interested in. And so there is, you know, there's a lot there, but I'm also able to recognize, you know, when there are moments where I'm like, oh yeah, this is really a boring reading. And then this is going to have to like, I'm going to really have to pull it all out to get through this. I can recognize that that's not because of any fault of my own, right? This is just sort of what you have to do. And yeah, and it's, so it's really, it says so much about the lack of support or encouragement that we received as women growing up, that we end up in that place of self and of such negative self-talk. And that's where I think so many of us turn to that place of advocacy, which is like, how can I help children? How can I help younger women to believe in themselves? Like, like what are, what do we need to feel like we are can be successful, tremendous human beings. <laughs> How can I save others? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and and it. I mean, it's tough when I when I go into school and work with the girls. Uh, the school, I so I, I spend a day a week in a in a, in an actual school, and it's a great school, but it's still a mainstream school. It's not made for these girls. It isn't. Um, they are finding it hard, and I can tell them that's because it is really hard for you to navigate in a world that was not made for you. Anyone with our brain would be finding it hard. This is not a moral failing on your point, on your part. This isn't a choice for you. Very, I, I train teachers too. So um, I'm all, that's something I'm always uh, a phrase I hear myself say that this is not a choice for us. We don't decide whether we're interested or not. We don't choose whether we're going to engage or not. It happens to us. So since we are the child, the vulnerable one, and since you are the professional, I'm afraid it's on you to get me interested. It's on you to get me engaged. Like That's the work that needs to be done. And then when I grow, I will be a fabulous human being and you can, you can have your part in saying that you launched me there. You know, great. But it is so tough for our young people, Katie. So, so tough, um, especially the girls, because on the whole, we're internalising and... I mean, gosh, <laughs> I think if, if people could see, you know, like see the, the the movie of our mind and how we are experiencing what it is to be in the canteen right now with all this noise and all the sounds and all the conversations and how utterly overwhelmed we feel, except we just look like another kid in the canteen. 
just doing what kids in the canteen do, but it, it costs us so much more, so much more. And I have a massive heart for these girls, obviously. Well, and I say girls, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't discriminate. I have a heart for the boys also, but boys on the whole let you know they're struggling with their behaviour. They do. You can see. You can see that it's going wrong for them. But, you know, and I say to the teachers, seriously, do not ever ask a girl if she understands because she's going to say, yes, she does. Do not ask a girl if she's fine because, yes, she is. You're going to have to be more creative with your questions, people, you know, because if anyone had asked me, I'd be like, yeah, totally. Totally know what I'm doing. Not a foggy. I've got, I've got no clue, but I would never let on. No way. But, yeah, it is a, it is tough, especially when you're at that point in your education when you have to learn everything, right? I don't know what it's like in the United States. There's a point in England uh, when you turn 14 and you can start to leave a few subjects behind. So things get a little bit better. You know, like, let's say you're just not a musician. You don't have to do music anymore. Or, I mean, you still have to do science and English. And, but, you know, you can start to lean in a bit more to your interests. So it can get a little bit better then. Yeah, absolutely. And I, But I, I, I do credit this podcast for allowing me to see in my daughter a version of ADHD I never would have seen. I never would have thought she had ADHD because my experience was so different and my experience was so much more similar to my son's experience. And she does really, really well in school and she gets really high grades. And I never really connected that she what was going on behind the scenes until she started having panic attacks around getting a 75. You know, uh, she got a 75 in a French on a French test and I had to pick her up from school because she could not she could not get past that. And I was like, that's not a normal level of anxiety <laughs> for a high schooler. But, you know, I never would have made that connection until I started, you know, until I was interviewing so many women who did really, really well in school but that there was this element of that white knuckling that, you know, that anxiety behind it all. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one -on -one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. 
It's called Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Okay, so let's talk about the ADD Vantage. You do a lot of one-on-one coaching, but you just said you train teachers too. What does that involve? Yeah, so... Well, my business is called The Advantage because what I'm trying to do, what I hope I'm trying to do is help people see the advantages in their difference. So like not the superpower, but, you know, we're pretty cool. We've got, we got stuff to bring, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, we, we, we're good to have around and well, and we're still here. So you might as well make the most of us kind of thing. Um, so um, most of my work is one-to-one coaching with women um, and I mentor girls from 14 up and um, I find that young people perhaps coaching is a step too far like that they're not really able but they can't really remember what you told them what, what, what you discussed let alone do anything in between sessions so the mentoring's more sort of coming alongside and being at their side I suppose and having someone to talk to and the, and it's funny that the consistent bit of feedback I get whatever age or stage that I'm working with is oh, you understand oh my god you 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 see me you get me and I'm like I was you and or I will be you like you know um so yeah so one-to-one work I also um train teachers uh for sort of understanding ADHD but also how to support students with ADHD in the classroom like with their learning and also the kind of social emotional piece which is massive particularly for girls and is not well advertised as an ADHD thing like it, it used to be in one of the DSMs time ago there was like the there was an emotional component to the diagnostic criteria but they took it out Katie because they didn't have a good measure for it I'm like guys get a good measure what what I mean you lot are supposed to be clever <laughs> get a measure right yeah so that, so that's what I train that's what I train teachers um to do so I've had a, the privilege quite a couple of times recently to go into all girls settings uh like you know girls school settings so to really focus on the female experience but then um I can deliver in a in a mixed setting as well and I think the power I have is that I am a parent I live with it I used to work as a teacher so I I bring a lot of um I think it's it's an authentic voice right that's I just I haven't got a PhD in it I'm soaked in it in every way. And and I do get it. I do get how hard it is for a teacher too. I, I fully appreciate how it is from, from their point of view. And I understand the dynamics of the classroom. I understand the pressures of the job. So I do that as well. And then the other thing that I'm trying to do is to grow a little community. I did have this kind of big ambitious dream about changing policy and, uh, you know, getting everyone what they need on the National Health Service. And then I realised that would be quite uh, like banging your head against a brick wall, really, uh, because there is no money and no one's got time. And it's not like the professionals in the NHS don't want to do it. I think they probably do, but they can't. So I've scaled it down now to thinking about 
what can I do for my people? Like what, you know, what can I do? So I'm trying to sort of grow a, a community of women. So we meet regularly. So obviously these women have to be geographically close to me. Um, so we we meet regularly um, for dinner and lunch and we sometimes go on outings, which is quite cool. And what I hope this will grow into, uh, although I have to pace myself, Katie, which I'm not very good at, what I hope this will grow into is to actually have maybe a physical centre, like a, a hub where girls and women with ADHD can come together for learning, for life, for fun, for all kinds of things. But it would the idea would be ADHD women supporting other ADHD women in all kinds of things. So in my group, I have got, of course, brilliant women who are like, you know, the most incredible human beings who have so much to offer each other. So, you know, there are yoga teachers, there are personal trainers, there are educators, there are, you know, all kinds of brilliance. So that's the goal, I think, to try and have a, a home that is a very safe and welcoming space for girls and women with ADHD where we can, I just think we get a lot from each other, you know, like the, the connection piece that we, we, well, first of all, we like each other best, right? Like we definitely do. And it's such a kind of funny, forgiving, warm place to be where your timekeeping, we all get that. Don't worry, come when you're ready you forgot something that's okay have one of mine you know like so that that's what I I hope will happen and if I manage to pull that off I hope it encourages other people to pull that off I was actually super encouraged this week because I have a little closed Facebook group and um a lady from New York put a post on the group on my group saying I'd really like to to get together with other ADHD women in New York and, and, and so if anyone's and, and I, for all I know I may well have other women in New York in my group I'm not sure but I thought um so I'm so happy to see you guys doing that for each other like you know just reaching out and um yeah that connection is really so powerful to live well with ADHD you know I, I don't want it to be that they just meet me and and they're like oh my gosh you get it which I do, obviously, that, and that's a good experience. I know that. But to actually understand there's not just, there's so many of us, <laughs> you know, you know, we are a tribe and um, we yeah. think of each other a lot. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm kind of going, I hope. Same. And I feel like this is how policy gets changed, right? Like, I do feel like this is what we can do as individuals is to have these conversations and to raise awareness and to affect each other and that finding this these smaller communities globally are creating these larger conversations and you know that's really how we're going to start changing the face of ADHD yeah yeah that's that's my hope too Katie and and I'm so grateful to you for the work you're doing and how powerful you know you have such a massive reach you are reaching right now across a massive ocean to have this conversation with me but the work that you're doing is so powerful, so accessible. And it's, it's such a quick go, you know, like if I meet a woman who's like, Oh, I think I might, I'm not sure. Like how wonderful to be able to signpost immediately to people like yourself doing this work. What I tend to find is when I signpost people to podcasts, they're like, it's like Netflix binge watch. They binge listen. (laughs) 
are like, oh yes, episode 57 was just amazing, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it was. But I can't remember what that was now. Um, but anyhow, it's it's so um it's so I'm so thankful for for what you do and to be able to signpost women to your work. And when I finally um because I have kind of overcommitted, big shock, um, and I am quite busy right now. I'm it's gonna get I have cleared the diary later on, um, but I'm I'm very interested in the intuitive eating piece. And um, I know that you've done some writing around that, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to reading that. And I'm hoping that my reading of that will be able to help me support um, women who are, are quite stuck on the whole um, eating diet piece. Right. Yeah, I know. It always, it's funny to me because before my diagnosis, I worked with women on binge eating and binge eating recovery. And and it's so funny, you know, I'm like, oh my God, the signs were there all along. Like, I just want to call all of my old clients and be like, surprise, we all have ADHD. <laughs> but, you know, I look back at my book too, which was written before my diagnosis, but it's funny to see, like, it's so clearly written by a person with ADHD for women with ADHD. And it's also like a very ADHD friendly book because I wrote a book that I would read. So it's so interesting to see all of these ways in which I was like, oh yeah, like there's very short chapters and lots of bullet points and stuff. And <laughs> so I'm like, uh, I never want to say that it's like officially a book about ADHD and binge eating, but it's it's so clearly there. But yeah. Uh, well, this has been so wonderful. I really love all of the work that you're doing and it's so passionate and, and um, I just think it is, you know, I think we are, I think one by one, we are changing how it is viewed and how, what teachers are seeing. I think teachers are so important to this experience and teachers lead to the diagnosis for so many boys. And I think that what, you know, the more teachers realize what it looks like in girls. And like you said, if your grades are great and then one year they start dropping off that, that should be a flag, right? And like, how do we start to see some of those flags is I think it's tremendously life-changing. So thank you so much for all the work you're doing. This has been a really great conversation. I really liked this. <laughs> this is pretty early in the morning for me. And so usually I'm like not all here in the mornings when I'm doing ones, but uh, I feel like this was really stimulating. I'm feeling very like buzzy right now. <laughs> so thank you. Well, I want to ask you before we go, is, is, do you have an, an alternate name for ADHD, if you could call it something else? Yeah, so um, I I too wish, and I've forgotten her name, but I listened to someone that you interviewed recently who wished, like I do, that I she could have come up with something really kind of funky and memorable. And I haven't come up with anything funky and memorable. But what I would say is that last D on the end, that needs to go. Disorder needs to be difference. We are just a variation in humanness. And since we're still here, clearly we've got something to offer and we've got so much to offer, right? And I don't think it's a deficit either. I think it's it's a regulation issue. Like I have, it's difficult for me to regulate my attention and to control my impulses. That's That's what it actually is. I'm not deficient and I'm not disordered. I'm just different. And there's a place for me. And if you put me in the right place, I will serve powerfully and be brilliant. But if you put me in the wrong place with the wrong people, then it's just not going to go well. But so now I don't have a, a funky name, um, but I agree like with most people that have ADHD that it's a totally rubbish name. Yeah, definitely needs a new one. <laughs> 
It's a terrible name. And also, I feel like it wasn't a name like you. I, you know, and so many of us looked at that and was like, that doesn't describe my situation. That's not me. And so I'm like, how can we encompass a, a, a easy phrase that will that will kind of indicate what our experience is and not instantly dismiss it. Cause so many times, even, you know, and all of these terms that I've learned around like executive dysfunction and, uh, you know, or I'm like, I wouldn't have related to that either. I don't, you know, that's not a phrase I would have understood at the time. So that's why I'm like, I don't know, maybe some, maybe something super simple, like misunderstood or, or the always, always different syndrome, right. Or the, what is wrong with me syndrome? <laughs> Those are the ones I would have related to. Yeah. How many times have you asked yourself this question today? Oh, you've definitely got it then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's a terrible name. And not only is it a terrible name, it means it's also a name that is stopping people understanding that they have it. So it's not just a terrible name. It's uh, damaging. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's doing us a, a disservice. So yeah, I hope you're listening DSM six people come on let's have a different name <laughs> awesome all right well so add add the add dash vantage.co.uk i will have that link in the show notes for sure um also your instagram account and i'll put your facebook page too because you have a facebook group right i do have a is that open page. to anyone can i put that in the show notes too? yeah so i have a business facebook page and within that I have a closed group. So I tend to post the same information in both, but the closed group obviously protects the what their friends see them looking at. So so I have that too. Um, and yeah, I, I just try to share information that's going to be helpful, useful um, to, to women with ADHD in all of their shapes and sizes and roles and things. But yes, I'm very happy if anyone wants to join the gang. Uh, they're not very chatty, my Facebook group. I will get. I don't understand why that is because I've got a WhatsApp group. Because we have ADHD. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm like, we're like herding cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, yes, anyone's welcome always. And um, where are you in the United States, Katie? Whereabouts are you based? I'm in based in New York State. So in New York um, State. Okay. Yeah, I'm about two hours outside of New York City right now. So okay. um, yeah. if I make it across the other side at some point, I will see if I can look you up because I'd, I'd love to meet you also in person. And I'm so grateful for everything that you're, you're doing. So, yeah. Oh, thank you, Pippa. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for all the work you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, 
but she has ADHD, and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness, or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. 